0: Hi, and welcome to Data Hack Radio. This is Kunal, your host for the show. In this episode, we will talk to Matthew Honnibal and Ines Montani. Matt and Ines are founders of Explosion.ai and are also makers of the popular open-source NLP library, Spacey. Matt and Ines both come from linguistics background, but their journey was very different. Matt was in academia for more than 10 years, and Ines was in sales and development for 4 years before starting Explosion.ai. Together, they've been growing spacey and bootstrapping a business, and there are a lot of parallels in their journey and our journey at Analytics with them. We also discussed their perspective on recent developments in NLP and how they see the field evolving in the next three to five years. Thanks uh, Innocent and Matt for uh, taking time out for uh, this podcast. And uh, you know, I've been personally using Spacey as a library and benefited a lot from it. So, so I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, as a starter, can you uh, you know tell us a bit more about yourself and your journey, and how did you guys come together to create Spacey? What what was that journey like?
1: i uh, sure. I guess I'll start with uh, myself. Mm-hmm. So, I suppose Spacey had its first origins when I didn't want to write a grant proposal. Okay. So I was in academia or in Australia and I'd been working on natural language processing for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, there were a few companies who were trying to use my research code mm-hmm. and uh, you know I really thought that this wasn't really a good fit for what they wanted to do because you know the code was very focused on getting the results that I needed and wasn't very usable for uh, you know general purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd also written a couple of blog posts basically explaining uh, natural language processing technologies that were well received by mm-hmm. people and Uh, you know, when I got to the point of academia where I was like, well, okay, I should write grant proposals and really transition into a more of a management role. I sort of, the AI boom was really starting to take off and I -hmm. could, uh, you know, basically do something different if I left academia. And And this was
0: 2014, right? Yeah. So then I started working on
1: Spacey through like, you know, late 2014 or early 2015 or so. -hmm. And uh, then uh, soon after that, I, I came to Berlin and uh, Innes and I met up shortly after the sort of first alpha version of Spacey was released and uh, Mm -hmm. so she started working on the project as well and then we came to found Explosion AI together.
2: Yeah, so basically I also have, um, I have a background in linguistics but I was also also always um, a front-end developer and um, of course general software developer so we saw that like there were lots of skills that um, yeah if we combined them we could build um, lots of cool things and so very soon we were like okay let's uh, really focus on building more developer tools and that's um, yeah that's how our company came about that's how Prodigy came about which is our first commercial product and annotation and um, labeling tool for uh, machine learning and NLP and mm. yeah And we've been working also working on Spacey ever since.
0: Interesting. So when did you, uh, you know, feel the uh, need of, you know, writing a new library? Because I presume at that time, a lot of people would be using NLTK as their default Python library. And you know, what, what were the sort of uh, challenges or ideas where you thought that, uh, uh, you know, this needs a new library as opposed to maybe doing enhancements to NLTK or, or using some other uh, ecosystem?
1: Well, one of the main things is, was actually efficiency. So uh, NLTK has different motivations as a, as a code base. And one yeah. of them is to act uh, as sort of a point of teaching or mm-hmm. a central uh, sort of repository of uh, algorithms and implementations that can be taught uh, as well. And mm-hmm. that's also where the book uh, that uh, came out around NLTK, uh, where you know basically you could teach, and, uh, teach topics in natural language processing with, uh, with reference to these implementations. Mm-hmm. So, as always, trying to trying to serve different priorities um, always ends up with these sorts of conflicts. And so, uh, the needs that you have for, um, you know, basically commercial NLP uh, mm-hmm. basically comes to a different set of priorities. And one of the most important of those is efficiency. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so, Python itself is a fairly inefficient language. And so, mm-hmm. the best way to get efficient uh, you know Python usable things is to write C extensions with Scython, um mm-hmm. the language spacey is ultimately implemented in mm-hmm. and this um, was even more true when I did spacey when I first started working on spacey and linear models were more popular because mm-hmm. there you need to have um, the the models are very data uh, you know basically used a lot of memory. Mm-hmm. and uh, in, they could be implemented very quickly if you used something like C or Cython, uh, mm-hmm. and you didn't have this sort of main call into a neural network library that you have now. Mm-hmm. So um, there was no way to basically write these C extensions for NLTK. Um, mm-hmm. I also wanted to basically have a different library that took a different approach, and one of the differences in philosophy was having one way to do it and mm-hmm. only one solution or a much more pared-down set of uh, modules and processes than uh, NLTK gave you. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was also another reason why I was, you know, interested to uh, start a library that came from a different perspective and had a different set of design assumptions.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And when you met Ines, you said Spacey was in its alpha version. So so did you have users at that time? How, how evolved was the idea at that time? Um, so... I think we
1: actually first met before Spacey was yeah. released. And oh, so... I remember been, you were you
2: we were talking about like the library yeah. you were working on and what you were writing. So, um, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it was soon after it was um, released, I in uh, got involved writing visualizers for it. Um and at that stage, I guess we had a few users, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the first time the library was uh, released, uh, you know, it had... To, Different limitations and it was also quite a young code base, yeah. so naturally the, the user base grows over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it had a few users, but not mm-hmm. nearly. Yeah,
2: there definitely there are a few people who are still using Spacey who I also remember were like users from very very early on, which is always cool. Okay. We mm-hmm. have people who follow the journey, um, yeah. but yeah, naturally it just the user base grows. Adoption of NLP has grown significantly over the past few years, so
0: yeah. Um, and and uh, you know uh, more out of interest. So so what was that conversation like? So I mean uh, so so how did you describe Spacey at that point? And and you know how did that conversation went?
1: Well, uh, you know basically after we um, started talking, and you know uh, Ines mentioned that she uh, had a background in linguistics, and mm-hmm. uh, you know also as somebody who obviously speaks uh different languages because you know her native language is uh german so Mm -hmm. also having experience with language from a learning perspective um basically i described a little bit about the functionality that it provided and that you know what it meant to do syntactic analysis and Mm -hmm. i think uh Ines remembered doing this in uh, uni. Rather. Yeah, I also,
2: of course, I mean, I didn't, well, I didn't have like a very direct like background in actual computational linguistics. Of course, mm-hmm. it was part of uh, what I did. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's like, that's pretty cool that like this all, um, you know, computationally works so well now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, you know, I've, I've, I found this like very intriguing that like, you know, suddenly a lot of those things were like actually practically possible and also possible in a way that like, okay, a company could like, use that technology and really build, like, very significant systems. So that mm-hmm. was always something that really drew me to that field in particular.
1: Yeah, I think you. another one of your reactions that I remember was that, you know, this disappointment that the parser <laughs> didn't really understand things. He was just oh, happy. yeah. It's <laughs> oh, just yeah. like how dumb the algorithm could be that could get actually pretty good yeah, results. Yeah, that's true. I remember that. Like, mm-hmm. in the
2: beginning, I thought, oh, okay, it makes sense, right? If you want to do, like, NLP, what you would mm-hmm. need to um, you know, you teach to do the rules and, uh, you know, you teach the computer to replicate those rules. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, well, actually, I mean, especially, yeah, now we're not doing that before. We weren't doing that in the linear models. It's just like, well, okay, how how likely is it that this is a verb? And that's, I, yeah, I remember my first reaction to that was like, oh my God, that's like so disappointing. Like, <laughs> it's so much. It's that. But I think that's kind of this current theme that goes through like NLP that like, well, you know, yeah, it's very satisfying to think about like, oh, we can teach the machine what a cat is. But like Mm -hmm. in reality, we really don't. Um, The machine knows nothing. And that's Mm -hmm. just how it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's much more apparent with linear models where you're saying, okay, I'll code that, you know, the feature is the previous word is the, and the previous word or the previous part of speech is like, you know, a verb or something. Mm -hmm. But um the neural network will be picking up on pretty much exactly these uh, sorts of things, especially with, you know, Spacey uses convolutional neural networks with like a depth of four. So it has sensitivity to four words on either side. Yeah. And really it's biased towards loading exactly those sorts of surface level features rather than building some esoteric understanding of, uh, you know, what this word means or the sentence context or something.
0: Sure, sure. Interesting. So, you know, from that uh, uh, alpha version to uh, releasing a huge update version 2.1 recently. So tell us about, you know, how this journey happened? And, you know, how do you decide what features to bring in into the upcoming versions and and at one point you know the the part that this could also be used to create a commercial product came into place or was that there from the start so so i mean tell us a bit more about this journey how did this happen
1: well the idea to build a business around spacey was always kind of there Hmm. um the specifics of it were um, a little bit vague for a while, like i wasn 't sure whether you know okay, maybe it'll just be consulting around it or maybe mm-hmm. uh premium models and things quite early, we settled on uh, actually annotation tools as a mm-hmm. good option for this mm-hmm. so yeah,
2: and that's also something that like kept coming up because over the course of like the library of course we paid we paid very close attention to what were people what people were using and what worked yeah. and what people were doing, and two features mm-hmm. there were very clearly like named entity recognition that's that's basically mm-hmm. trying to recognize like names, phrases, concepts. That yeah. was always like a big focus of what people were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then also we saw, well, one thing that everyone was struggling with was actually creating labeled data and mm-hmm. running experiments and um, the sort of iterative nature of the whole process. Like, yeah. okay, you have some idea, you try it out, it doesn't work, mm-hmm. you have to go back. And all of that, that process, that was something people were really struggling with. And that was ultimately also the motivation for Prodigy. that we thought actually, especially in that early phase where you're really developing your model and you're thinking about what do I want it to predict? What makes mm-hmm. sense? What's possible that there you actually need a much closer interaction of the data scientist and the tooling. Like you can't just all farm it out to a mechanical turf, take it back and have a model. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. You often go back, revise your label scheme, try out ideas. And we're like, well, if you can make this more efficient and give it the same kind of developer focused feel that Spacey had, that yeah. could be very, very useful. At least we were like, well, that's definitely a tool we would love to have. For our work, and so we built it, and it turned out that there were lots of lots and lots of other people who felt the same way, and so Prodigy's um, been very successful in that way, and that's obviously great.
0: Sure, sure, interesting, and uh, and how about the evolution of Spacey itself? So, how do you, you know, for example, decide which features to bring in, and uh, how do you decide about the evolution of Spacey as a library? Uh, so. To a lot,
1: to some extent, this is actually influenced by the research developments around uh, around things. So, mm-hmm. um, the first versions of Spacey were built with uh, these uh, linear model technologies, which were mm-hmm. basically the best uh, available at the time. Then, uh, over the course of that, the neural network models uh, quickly became better and better. And so, mm-hmm. uh, the switch from Spacey one to Spacey two was. Um, you know, to some extent about this switch over to the neural network uh, Mm -hmm. models. At -hmm. the same time, uh, as this was happening, uh, the user base was evolving uh, much more of the knowledge in the community was evolving much more towards people wanting to have uh, custom pipeline components. uh, Mm -hmm. Basically the data science community was growing so much around it and the use of machine learning, different machine learning technologies was growing so much. And Mm -hmm. so that's why the, um, many of the key features of Spacey 2 were around these pipeline components and having these pluggable architectures and uh, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then um, for V2.1, it's been much more about basically stability and performance, but then mm-hmm. another feature that uh, you know basically came up into prominence over that time was these langu- uh, transfer learning and language mm-hmm. model pre-training. Okay. And that's why SPACY uh, 2.1 ended up with... Um, uh, you know, having that as a main feature because this was like, you know, an exciting development in the research community. Mm -hmm. So, um, over this whole time, there's been some things which we've basically been meaning to get back to that um, we haven't, uh, that, you know, other things that developed around it that we haven't managed to do as much of this as we wanted. But one of them is actually much more um, knowledge-based entity uh, things. So, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the core uses of Spacey is in information extraction type of topics or mm-hmm. uh, basically going from unstructured text to structured uh, knowledge, like it basically extracting a table of information from a raw uh, mm-hmm. sample of text. So, uh, what we have uh, in the works at the moment is um, a new component for entity linking, so resolving mm-hmm. uh, uh, names to knowledge base entries. So, mm-hmm. we have uh, a developer working on this um, uh, full-time and uh, you know, we hope to have that basically ready for presentation by uh, our conference, Spacey IRL, which is in uh, July here in uh, Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then other things uh, that we're working on for that as well are better models for uh, the different languages. Uh, and, um, you know, basically a couple more components like this that, you know, basically build out the uh, the pipeline and build support for different things.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. And on the languages front, so what are the different languages which you're uh, planning to, there is work already happening? Is that something which you can share?
1: Okay. So uh, at the moment, the core languages, which, are, um, which have some support or which have models available for them are, are mostly European languages mm-hmm. like uh, English, German, French, Spanish, uh, and you know a couple of others have limited support. So uh, we're developing uh, uh, data packs for basically premium models for specific purposes for these based on our own annotations. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also want to develop um, some more languages for uh, some more models for East Asian languages. Um, So languages like Chinese, Japanese and Korean require uh, basically model support in order to do accurate segmentation and annotation. And analysis, mm-hmm. uh, we are also um, putting a lot of effort into lemmatization uh, at the moment. We have been working on this, and uh, the uh, results of this look pretty good. So, for many languages, uh, lemmatization is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have uh, support for um, uh, several uh, languages of India um, at the sort of tokenization level, and we'd like mm-hmm. to have more full support uh, for these as well. So. Uh, i think the support for hindi tokenization is okay Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, i think the support for tamil is also uh, Mm -hmm. reasonably good
2: yeah i think we also just had another uh, pull request um yeah i don't don't remember but like it's definitely coming up and so that's also where the community steps in a lot but like one limitation obviously with these pre-trained models like we see the pre-trained we distribute um, a lot of Um, quite quite a few pre-trained models for several languages but uh, we see them more as like base models you can use to test out the, uh, the functionalities but also to build upon in your own systems because one limitation obviously is the data like there's some languages like English where we're able to license like very good that you can you know, train pretty decent models on, but the other languages where just the resources are more sparse, so we have to say, okay, we might have our own projects. So lots of companies mm-hmm. are saying, we're labeling our own data to train our own models. So that's also why a lot of the focus has been on um, improving, like fine tuning models, but also training your own models with your own data. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, that's ultimately where like really kind of the magic happens or where, th- you know, you can really use uh, the technology in like the most powerful way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, you know, during this period, you would have obviously come across a lot of use cases. You've been talking to community about where they are using. So do you remember any uh, usage which is almost uh, unexpected or came as a surprise to you? So any interesting use case, which uh, you are not expecting people to use it for or something which uh, stuck out uh, compared to rest of the use cases?
1: Um. So, one of the things that comes up a lot that we were surprised by is um, actually under, uh, extracting information from resumes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This comes up a lot in uh, Prodigy as well. We have several Prodigy users basically doing annotation for this. Yeah, I've heard um, that uh, So some of this is also, um, you know, basically, uh, there's a strong component of PDF parsing in that and mm-hmm. uh, challenging because the text isn't necessarily sentential text. Yeah. So it's kind of the edge of what... Um, uh, you know, these tools are sort of well-optimized for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
2: And then uh, network uh, network logs I've seen, that was pretty interesting. I'm not sure if that was actually successful, but like mm-hmm. project trying to use NLP for that. And I think also more generally just seeing like the, 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 the different industries and also industries and areas and companies where just instinctively you would have never thought like, okay, what are they doing with NLP and why do they um, invest so much in these technologies? And then you're like, well, yeah, of course, every industry – Pretty much any industry you can come up with, they'll have to deal with text and they'll have to deal with like humans having written something somewhere at some point. And so then, of course, they want to do something with that. But that's like sometimes we have also new users using Prodigy from companies where I'm like, wow, that's like, that's yeah, I would have not ex- expected this at all. And that's a super cool, like, yeah, use case. And that always amazes me. Like,
1: yeah, uh, so all time. one thing that comes up for Prodigy is we've got several users in uh, different. Uh, companies in the aerospace industry so mm-hmm. things like airlines or um, you know other uh, sort of heavy manufacturing things mm-hmm. and uh, so they ha- they have a lot of safety reports and mm-hmm. so they end up with these general things of like okay you've got some text and uh, some structured information that goes with the text and mm-hmm. uh, you know you're often f- um, asked to fill in a you know a structured information form like a table mm-hmm. um, or you know check boxes and things and then you write a summary report as well mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, there's, you know, many of these compliance procedures across different industries where uh, you end up with this thing of okay, but how often uh, do I have conflicting information um, from the text that uh, and the structured information, and how often do I have things where you know the text uh, mentions something that should have been um, flagged in the structured information mm-hmm. um, or vice versa, and so uh, you basically want to run these analytics procedures or like you know. Uh, Linting procedures where you can highlight these things and double and flag them for review or go back over them. Or similarly, if you want to add structured uh, data uh, mm-hmm. field to your form, you want to backfill that over your previous um, uh, texts. Mm-hmm. And so these um, some things where people end up writing custom NLP, uh, uh, you know, basically components or projects to sort of fill this type of use case.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Hello listener, I'm very excited to announce the launch of Data Hack Summit 2019. So Data Hack Summit 2019 will be happening in Bengaluru from 13th to 16th of November, 2019. Data Hack Summit is India's largest applied artificial intelligence and machine learning conference. And we have made a few changes in line with our community demand. So this year we have added one entire day for hack sessions. So we have extended a day in conference. So the conference would now be three days and there would be one day for all the workshops, that's the four days. And on that one incremental day, we'll do hack sessions. So there was a lot of demand for hack sessions last year, which we could not cater to, and that is why we have added one entire day for hack sessions. So there will be 1,200 people attending Data Hack Summit with more than 70 sessions and hundreds of speakers. If you are into data science, you just cannot miss this conference. Last year, we sold out our early bird tickets much faster than what we had anticipated and I expect the same this year as well. So if you are going to be in Bangalore in November, make sure you book your tickets today the link to the link to book the tickets is included in the show notes you know if i look at the last uh, maybe 12 to 18 months there have been a lot of Breakthroughs happening in NLP. So, you know, uh, Transformer or BERT and companies coming out with uh, different models. So, how do you see, you know, NLP as a field evolving in, let's say, next two to three years? And, uh, you know, branch question from that would be what would it mean for Spacey over the, let's say, next two to five years? So, for both Spacey as well as Prodigy. So, how does your roadmap look like? So
1: I would say that one of the things that I, you know is likely to basically shift in focus will be um a, a change towards making the model smaller and more efficient mm-hmm. uh because at the moment most of the I guess competition has been over um headline results and basically proof of concepts that uh you know okay if we make the model ever larger you know at what point what type of algorithms uh will you know basically you know, show that they can continue to scale with ever larger uh, data sizes and ever larger amounts of text. Mm-hmm. And so already, I think uh, we're starting to see, um, you know, basically the constraints shift and people ask, all right, but what can I run in a more feasible amount of time and cheaper? Mm-hmm. Because um, especially for the training of these models, there's um, a huge uh, constraint over that. And also just, you want to run the models over large um, volumes of text. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, or also um, answer questions with low latency. And mm-hmm. if they require a big GPU and a, the, and one model occupies a whole GPU, then it becomes infeasible to basically run these things in production. So yes. I would say that already with Spacey, we've been doing some work on this uh, mm-hmm. and that's what's allowed us to uh, provide the Spacey pre-train command. But mm-hmm. I think that the rest of the field will also be taking this as a research priority to basically make these models smaller and that'll have a, a nice impact on Spacey, um, mm-hmm. and you know also, for prodigy,
2: yeah, and also I think another um, thing that we're also seeing with the transfer learning is that it's basically it's becoming more and more feasible to train um, with smaller numbers of examples and base or more more like see results faster, which is obviously very helpful, and um, that's actually a great like opportunity we see there for um, yeah, uh, NLP, but also for, um, tools like prodigy that you can basically, you know, it doesn't just because you now need 200 examples, doesn't mean you can just like collect 200 examples and stop. It means you can, you can try out so many new ideas and find, um, so many, you know, spend more time really trying to, uh, find the right approach, see what works, try out different ideas. And that's also why we've been so excited about shipping more of that transfer learning stuff in spacey. Um, mm. because, Yeah, you can basically, you know, you can spend less time waiting to see whether your model converges and whether something happens and more time doing actual data science and building things.
0: Sure, sure. Interesting. And, you know, I was looking at one of your talks where you mentioned a very interesting idea, which was, uh, you know, creating a marketplace of sorts for these uh, uh, specific language models. So, you know, uh, tell us a bit more about, you know, how does that evolution look like? And then what are your plans on, on those lines?
2: yeah so we've always we've always seen that like okay one, the, one big use case and um, one thing that people are doing is people are training their own models, and obviously mm-hmm. there are limitations if you're you know starting off with a corpus of just general use and web text, people want mm-hmm. more specific domains, people want uh, more specific models to build on, and yeah also again transfer learning gives us like more opportunity there to um, you know really make use of uh,
0: mm-hmm. that
2: kind of shared knowledge and so we always thought, okay it'd be really good um, you know we would we would love to spend invest. Time and effort into really collecting these annotations ourselves, and really creating these corpora and providing pre-trained models for much more specific fields like social media. Maybe think like the medical domain, legal text mm-hmm. in various different languages that uh, users can just like plug into their existing workflows, just the way they be doing it with a pre-trained model or their own model, and then they can you know fine-tune these models, really add some categories on top, add some rules on top, mm-hmm. um, and. really Build their own very custom system. So that's what we are currently working on for our data store. And um, yeah, the idea is really you can, you know, you can find a packet. You want to you know, do a project in analyzing French social media. So you'll you can start off with a model that was specifically trained on those texts and has like specific, you know, label scheme that's much more relevant to social media, some other features maybe um, mm. that are also more useful if you're working with that kind of text. Then you can take it, fine-tune it a bit on your text, and you have like a huge, like uh, you can you know, hugely jumpstart your project that way because you're not starting off with nothing and have to do you know, mm-hmm. all the work yep. from scratch yourself.
0: And uh, and you know, uh, on a timescale, how how far are we from uh, 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 maybe the first version of uh, uh, these uh, marketplaces, uh, according to you?
1: Well, uh, we're generally reluctant to give. Uh, too much timeline information um, just because uh, there, we've always got several things in the works mm-hmm. and uh, the the order in which we roll out the different things does um, depend on basically how, uh, you know, things evolve around this. So at the moment, the main thing that we're working on uh, is uh, the update to Prodigy, uh, which is mm-hmm. this more collaborative or team-oriented version, uh, Prodigy scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, we do actually... We've got some work in progress, um, for Dutch, uh, for, um, uh, with a partner team, uh, mm-hmm. to basically get a, um, some extension models for that. So, uh, you know, definitely if anybody listening is interested in Dutch, uh, models for, uh, Spacey with, you know, basically more focus for this then you know, let us know. And, uh, mm-hmm. we can basically use this to help us refine, uh, the timelines for this, but I would probably say um, uh, quarter four this year, quarter three this year, for um, you know a full rollout of the um, uh, the marketplace. But it um, and this can depend on how the yeah, other yeah. things. yeah. And evolve. also, and it,
2: it depends. Maybe you know, we, we might want to start off with a more, smaller, more boutique um, offering, mm-hmm. um, very you know specifically targeted before we kind of roll out more things. It really depends on um, how things. evolve but yeah it's definitely something we have been working on and that's on our timeline and that's one of the big things we've um, always wanted to do.
0: Sure sure and uh, you know if you have to almost step back and think that you know what is one problem you would want to solve in MLP over the let's say next three to four years what would that be?
1: I think a better process for information extraction with uh, you know that can be trained on for custom uh problems and that supports entity linking as well uh and uh with integrated uh process for annotation for that i would say that that's um something which at the moment people end up having to make ad hoc systems uh and Mm -hmm. especially has some components that are useful for it Mm -hmm. but um you know i think that we can do better for that and i think that that'll be one of the things that's most useful to people
2: also i would say building out like a more um uh, uh, building up um, a set of best practices and really, uh, you know, putting everything together that we've like, we've learned and we've seen, and that's just something that's naturally going to evolve. But um, uh, basically at the moment there's, it's still, there's a lot, a lot of it is trial and error. Um, uh, You just have to kind of see it's very, very difficult to really recommend something because every use case is different. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is, you know, they're they're always like very arbitrary small pieces of knowledge um, that kind of go together. And like, I think if, you know, over the next like year or two, I'm hoping that we can um, you know, kind of finalise or have, have have a better sense of general best practices, workflows, um, how to do things and how to actually do build end to end systems that generalize well and just work well for different use cases.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's uh, more like a plug and play system which adheres to some standards which let's say are agreed in industry and, and then can be used in a plug and play environment with that Mm,
1: uh, I don't think that that's quite it, it's more more like, you know, learning materials and resources
2: Mm -hmm. and things
1: uh, to basically help people guide their projects.
2: Because I think that a lot of this exists for, if you look at like more standard software development, like, okay, Mm -hmm. how to build, like, insert something here uh, for Python, like, Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of guidelines and there's a pretty clear understanding of how you get from like start to finish. Sure. Um, and that's just not really true for machine learning, data science, NLP. And yeah. uh, there are lots of different fragments, like depending on if, if someone, you know, we interact a lot with our users on our forum and community. And there are a lot of cases where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure you should definitely try that approach because that sounds promising. And mm-hmm. often that works, but that's very, far away from really, um, you know, having a more comprehensive approach. Like I guess someday we'd love to write a book about this, but that's like still very far in the future <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i mean it um it might help to uh, to basically mention that we see a a sort of anal- a rough analogy with the development of web uh, mm-hmm. uh, web development uh, as a sort of practice in a body of knowledge, mm-hmm. and so we see that's um we think that some of the evolution of machine learning will basically mirror things that we saw from that. So, uh, you know, an example of um, where we sort of apply that is there's a lot of people who are interested in very push button solutions for machine learning uh, or no code solutions or uh, solutions, which basically require less and less expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think that that actually won't be how things evolve um, and that, uh, you know, the requirements for what people want to achieve with different uh, projects and uh, you know, what will constitute a success will continue to sort of be more and more ambitious um, uh, in line with as people sort of gain skills and as the uh, ecosystem uh, builds better tooling around things. So just as there is a space in web development for things which are, you know, basically more drag and drop solutions or sort of low-skill mm-hmm. solutions, but, it, but overall, um, most web development is uses quite complicated tools or quite sophisticated tools in order to develop the best uh, Uh, you know, product that they can. And we think that the same will be true in machine learning. And
2: also the web, the web is developing. It's like, well, yeah, okay. We can now build like all of these super fast, super good websites, but like they're getting larger and larger and larger. It's like, you know, you would think that like, okay, the web would get like better, but like, it's kind of, uh, you know, people are always inventing more and more stuff. And oh, we can add like, you know, now we have 50 trackers and there's going to be, so (laughs) we're kind of always, always kind of working against that. And just Mm -hmm. like, okay, people might've said like, I don't know, 10 years ago that like by now, Um, development for the web or uh, web developers will be obsolete and like there's no need for people working in that domain when actually what we see is the exact opposite. And there'd Mm -hmm. be a lot of people working on web standards and tooling and actually developing the solutions that then other people use um, Mm -hmm. to build their things. So I think that's that is a pretty good analogy and also it does mean that of course over time the technology itself and doing things will inevitably become more accessible, which is really good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be able to solve like the problems that are now very, very tricky much more yeah. easily without having to um, have, you know, without needing a machine learning PhD. Mm-hmm. But it also means that there'll be, still be more and more challenges and duh, there'll never be like not a need for like people um, and developers working in that field.
0: Sure, sure. Hello, listener. Have you been wanting to start your machine learning journey, but you get discouraged every time you start that because there is too much mathematics or too much coding involved into it? This usually happens because people don't explain fundamentals in the right manner. And this is something which we do really well at Analytics there. So we take concepts, simplify them and cover them. But at the same time, we cover it to the extent that you need it in industry. And that is the exact principle on which we have created a applied machine learning course. So the applied machine learning course is going to go live on 15th of June, and it is currently available in a pre-launch offer. We have made sure that we cover each and every concept from fundamentals and we cover it in depth. There hasn't been a more comprehensive course on machine learning but at the same time the course is very simple to go through you can avail the pre-launch offer today by applying code aml10 and the course launches on 15th of june so if you want to learn machine learning this is the best course which i've ever seen and you should book that today thank you No, I I really, you know, like that analogy and and I think that puts a lot of things in perspective and and the fact that, you know, for example, there are some users on web who can, uh, can now, for example, maybe install WordPress and start their own blogs. Which who don't kind of focus on the latest research and tools, but there are a group of people who are working on the research side and engineering side of things as well. So
2: yeah, even look at the team building what, WordPress and what correct. they've been uh, through and like all all the work that went into like the, their latest releases and so yeah, yeah, that already says a lot. Yeah,
1: you know, and of course the lower end solutions um don't just uh, encompass people's you know. Uh, blogs and things for hobby projects. I mean, mm-hmm. a, an enormous number of businesses use this type of solution and find it a, um, you know, like, uh, um, God, I can't remember what the um, uh, Wix or Quix. Something. Uh, Wix,
2: Wix, for example, yeah. that's like yeah. one of the companies. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: a drag and um, so drop.
2: Yeah.
1: People do this a lot and there's many businesses which find this the most efficient solution. But, of mm-hmm. course, uh, there's many other companies where uh, you know, there's no question that you want a custom website that you've developed uh, yourself or a web application that you've
2: developed yeah. yourself. Yeah, and in a mobile application and so on. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, do you, um, so basically the analogy that we see there is that, um, you know, people will continue gaining skills in machine learning. Uh, and while there will be various, a variety of ecosystem for, you know, basically people at different points of that, that, you know, the ambition of the projects will not cease, and mm-hmm. that is like you know basically sort of guiding what we intend to build with Spacey and Prodigy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, with that uh, background, uh, what would be your advice to you know people who are uh, starting their NLP journey today? How should they look at their own kind of uh, uh, development, or what should be the areas they should focus on if if they are relatively new to NLP?
1: Well. I would say that one piece of advice is to um, uh, hone your, uh, or I guess craft what you're learning, um, and you know what you hope to be contributing towards. Um, mm. You know, basically a team that's already delivering successful uh, projects in this space. Mm. Don't um, you know, basically start out and say that you will be the NLP specialist, um, and that you know, join a small, smaller team as the first NLP developer or the only person who knows that those topics within it. Mm -hmm. um and the reason for that is that if you do that you're likely to end up uh you know running projects which aren't successful because you're unlikely to have enough influence over the the projects to get um you know briefs that are likely to succeed um you know management are likely to give you uh, project plans which actually turn out to be unrealistic and you know also you you will be inexperienced and unable to basically tell what's likely to work and what Uh, you know, is likely to be inefficient and when to push back against those requirements. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you join a team which is already uh, delivering success and uh, maybe bring in a sort of side speciality, for instance, you know, have, uh, you know, stronger uh, DevOps experience with enough uh, NLP or machine learning um, sort of domain context to understand what they're doing, then Mm -hmm. I think you'll be able to sort of join a team and basically be able to move in sideways. And understand the the projects better from that perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that that's probably a you know a better path into the career than just assuming that all right, well you'll become the NLP expert and join the team as the NLP mm-hmm. expert. I think you need to basically have a bit more hands-on experience than that.
2: Yeah, and I think another thing I would say is that maybe yeah, NLP there's more to NLP than just like all the you know the modern deep learning stuff. And it's I know it's a point that's been made before, but like there's. Mm-hmm you know, ultimately, I think a lot of it does come, building things does come down to um, building software and building applications and reasoning about what you're doing. And, like, often, you know, it's very easy to just try to find, like, okay, the one end-to-end approach of, like, okay, here's what my system needs to do. Now I need to find some way to train a model to do exactly that. When mm-hmm. often, you know, it helps to take a step back and think, okay, what do I really want to do here? What mm-hmm. can I predict? What works? Um, and then how can I go from there uh, to my end goal how can I just apply some basic you know some rules some logic think about stuff um, and I think it's often yeah it's easy to sort of to lose a bit track of that because it's not really it's not the sexiest kind of stuff that people are talking about but it's often what we've seen what really drives the success of many uh, projects.
0: Sure sure no that's really helpful and final question is you know uh, well you did mention it uh, before so what are the ways in which you know our community can get involved and maybe help in some of the areas with, where you need more crowdsourcing or any 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 areas where you think community can be useful in uh, accelerating the development. Um. So,
1: at the moment, uh, space has benefited a lot from having a community with uh, you know basically lots of different language backgrounds and mm-hmm. running progress uh, mm-hmm. uh, projects with different. Uh, uh, languages. Mm-hmm. So that's something where we've really uh, benefited a lot from contributions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more generally, uh, we do have basically a, a fairly small core team of developers, uh, and uh, you know we think that that's actually pretty efficient for many uh, software uh, projects. Mm-hmm. So we do tend to um, label um, basically issues on the issue tracker with help wanted um, for to sort of flag the issues which are um, more. Um, know which are basically more accessible Mm -hmm. and then uh, past that I would say that some of the things that basically can ease our you know maintenance burden are uh, just paying attention to relatively small things when you're reporting issues or basically when you're participating in the community for Mm -hmm. instance if you have a bug report if you can manage to get a failing test and open a pull request with a failing test this makes the bugs uh, uh, much much quicker to get uh, dealt with Um, Mm -hmm. so you know, basically, a, a pull request with a, a failing test is really awesome. Yeah. Um,
2: also, also, I think helping helping others like it. Fi- it, it sounds like um, yeah, it does, does, doesn't immediately sound like oh, how is this helpful to a project? But like mm-hmm. we've actually seen in the beginning, of course, we and we're still giving a lot to like the community by like answering questions and talking to people. And at the moment, like it always makes me super happy to see that there are now lots of people in the community who are then on our issue tracker on Stack Overflow or other communities online helping others and answering questions and kind of um passing that forward and yeah. i think that's for a community that's always a great thing to do uh, Or mm-hmm. write writing about like how, how you solve the problem mm-hmm. um what you've built like i think that's that's something that benefits us because you know there's someone else who can like answer people's questions but it also benefits the overall community because sure. there's more knowledge and more exchange
0: yeah yeah no definitely that does and uh, i mean that's that's uh, how we have been, uh, you know, benefiting from the community. So people coming and contributing articles, and other people benefiting from it. So completely yeah. understand that. Great, great. Uh, thanks, thanks, Enes and Matt for your time. It was, uh, you know, really wonderful uh, conversation to hear your thoughts and you know how, the direction in which. Uh, uh, both Spacey and Prodigy are heading. I'm, I'm really excited about it, and I'm sure uh, you know I'll, I'll hear a lot more about these uh, in the coming weeks and months and years. So
2: thanks.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Um. Thanks. So just to um you know basically re- re- reiterate um uh, if you are listening and you're in uh, Europe or Germany and you want to come check out um uh, the conference that I mentioned um so mm-hmm. that's happening. Uh, on July 6th, um, yeah. uh, you can get the URL at irl.spacey.io. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and otherwise, if you're located in India, I'll be giving uh, a keynote at PyCon India in Chennai in October. So, yeah. Matt will be speaking as well. So, um, yeah, we'll both be around, so it would be really cool uh, to meet yes. some of the community. Uh, sure. yep.
0: that's, that's exciting. Thanks, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sinus, and uh, great conversation. Thank
2: yeah. you. Thanks. Thank <music> you.